0: It was one month before Mark and Betty Squire's 19th wedding anniversary that Mark filed for divorce. Mark was having an affair with a woman he met through his work. Betty had had a brief affair a few years before that, and the two were embroiled in the typical shame, resentment, and bitterness usually associated with unresolved marital conflict. The truth was, the two had been distant for a long time, years. They were nearly strangers to each other by this point. They had tried to stick together to make it work for the sake of their five kids, for the sake of their vows, for better and worse. But the worst had gotten too hard, too ungratifying, too shameful. And Mark was ready to move on. This doesn't sound like the makings of a great love story, a couple on the brink of marital collapse, entrenched in the mire of broken vows. But this is Mark and Betty's love story. And it's a good one. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us.
1: We met in 1967 at the Peppermint Lounge in Toledo, Ohio. I was there with my friends, and she was there with her friends, and we met on the dance floor.
0: Mark asked Betty to marry him not long after that. He walked her out onto a frozen Lake St. Clair in February and got down on one knee with a teal diamond ring he had designed himself.
1: We got married in June of 67, less than a year later. We were very very young. We um, were
2: 19 and
1: 21 years old.
2: (laughs) Maybe we should start that part over.
1: I got
2: my facts. (laughs) He got his facts confused a little bit. Yeah, let's edit that out. I was 20 and you were
1: 18. 18. I was 18, that's right. And we met in 66, got
0: married in
1: 67.
0: They married 53 years ago in a humble wedding surrounded by dozens of cousins, nieces, and nephews. Betty wore a lace trimmed dress with long sleeves. They tried to outdo each other in pushing wedding cake into each other's mouths. And then they both experienced their first airline flight en route to Jamaica for their honeymoon.
2: Good for good. After two years, we had our first daughter, a great blessing to us. And then uh, we had four more children after that. The first four children are two years apart. And the caboose little boy uh, was born five years
0: after the fourth one. From the outside, Mark and Betty kept up the appearances of a model family. Mark was a well-respected police officer and Betty, a model homemaker. They were active parishioners at St. Athanasius Parish in Roseville. Both taught religious education, but there was more to the story behind closed doors. The two were living what they called a married singles lifestyle. After
2: our third child was born, our lives became very separated. A lot of married couples operate
1: that way, and we, we call it the married singles lifestyle, meaning, yeah, they, they live together, but statistically they probably spend less than 15 minutes daily talking to each other about anything. And uh, when they do, and the marriage is breaking down, they're only talking about the children, the calendars, the the all the important yet unimportant things about life. They never talk to each other about who they are, who they become, and how they feel about their lives.
2: Or what makes them happy, or what makes them sad. And
1: if it goes on long enough, and as in our situation, 19 years, it you end up realizing one day that you're married to a stranger. You don't know anything about that person anymore. And that can be frightening, and it is
2: frightening. Because of me being a stay-at-home mom and Mark working to support our family with three children, I was having a difficult time of feeling... Appreciated? Yeah, I guess that's a good word, Mark. I I was having a difficult time feeling appreciated and cared for, and then someone showed an interest in me, and I ended up having a brief affair at that time, uh, well, after our third child was born. So, of course, that got discovered, Mark discovered that, and uh, things were pretty difficult, and So we did our best to um, accept what happened, uh, try to forgive and forget what happened, which is impossible actually. It's, It's possible to forgive, but not to forget.
0: Mark couldn't forget. And what he thought was forgiveness was actually white knuckling through a deep wound, suppressing emotions. The more Mark and Betty grinned and bore it like they thought they were supposed to, The stronger the emotional barrier between the two became. And that made the next move so much easier. As a police officer, Mark was dispatched to thousands of homes to investigate domestic violence. On one occasion, he responded to a home where the violence had risen to an acute level, hospitalizing the woman for days. Moved by the woman's injuries and circumstances, he chose a strategy and a course of action designed to protect her from future assaults. But it did little to protect him emotionally. For several months, Mark was having an affair with the woman he protected before deciding it was time to file for divorce.
2: I was so desperate. I was so devastated about our marriage and our family. It wasn't what I had hoped for in our future when we our vows to each other.
0: Betty wasn't delusional about their relationship. She knew it had problems. But there was something about the finality of that decision, what they called the dreaded D word. Betty couldn't accept it without a little more fighting.
2: I was looking for anything that could help us. And in the church bulletin, I found Marriage Encounter, and I called them. And they told me after I shared what was going on with our life They told me about Look Again and that
0: we should sign up for Look Again. Look Again was a retreat designed for couples overcoming marital issues with the hope of reconciliation. There were talks teaching various communication methods and a portion where the couples wrote letters to each other. But the weekend offered by no means the seamless reconciliation Betty envisioned. Mark had agreed to the retreat as a sort of negotiating tool to prove to Betty how beyond rehabilitation they were. His commitment to the process was half-hearted at best.
1: They also taught a program of communication that that um, was to, like from Marriage Encounter, talking about your feelings through a process called dialogue. I um didn't do dialogue very well because I was trying to hide my intentions and my emotions from Betty. And so we were not very successful at all with the use of the dialogue method. Mostly because of my refusal to participate fully.
2: After that weekend, uh, I tried to dialogue with Mark. It's a written, you start with a written letter, letter in answering a question about how you feel about that question. I tried to share that with Mark, but I was mostly focused on my pain.
0: The Squires' relationship wasn't going to be healed in a -a two-and-a-half-day retreat in hotel conference rooms. They needed a relationship overhaul. But something about the weekend had pierced through Mark's stony exterior just enough for him to make one big decision. He trashed the divorce papers.
1: Well, when we left the Look Again weekend, uh, a couple of realizations happened for me. First of which is understanding that my wife and my family were still valuable to me. I was able to engage in the hope of what could happen should we commit to uh, improving our marriage. So hope evolved eventually into operating principle in my life.
0: For Betty, the weekend left her feeling completely disillusioned. The same idealism that was motivating her through this crisis was masking her deep-rooted despair. And with the retreat done, she came to face those feelings. Betty had a nervous breakdown and ended up in the hospital psychiatric ward for five days.
2: I ended up going to a, a therapist two different therapists. I spent six months talking to a therapist who let me just talk about how upset I was with Mark. And then I finally left that environment and found a different therapist who helped me work on me. In that experience, for another six months, I was able to rediscover who I was, uh, rediscover that I had value and, and I became a lot stronger emotionally. But that took some time and some focus on, on myself.
0: Meanwhile, Mark wrestled with his previous resolve to end his additional relationship.
2: And
1: it set off quite a, uh, a dynamic internal struggle, you know, good versus evil type of constant discussions in my brain. I struggled in the next two years uh, Terminating that relationship with the other woman, but I eventually was able to, and we then struggled, you know, the recovery period, the um, detente, if you will, where uh, where we uh, began being civil toward one another once again.
0: Look Again may have not been the heartwarming reunification weekend Betty had hoped for, but what it gave the Squires were things they didn't previously have. A sliver of hope. The belief that maybe divorce wasn't a given. A few rudimentary tools to start the clumsy communication process. It didn't get them to wedded bliss, but it got them to Sybil.
2: Four years after our Look Again weekend, by that time, we had stopped using the the D word. we weren't throwing that divorce word back and forth at each other anymore. We were beginning to heal. able to communicate with each other a little bit better. We had learned a little bit of that from the Look Again program.
0: The problem with a lot of depictions of love in novels, films, and music is that they tend to gloss over what happens after you find love. They give the illusion that the biggest hurdle is simply finding the love of your life and that the first kiss or the first time you say I love you is paramount to each successive indication of love you will be invited to make each and every minute of life thereafter. Mark and Betty became diligent students on the unglamorous, mutual self-giving that marriage really is, in the thousands of details they learned about each other that had previously gone unnoticed, and the practice of intentionality, learning to not take each other for granted. They developed a few marital practices that they continue to this day, And it wasn't overnight, as romantic fanfare may have you believe. But minute by minute, decision by decision, they grew closer to each other.
1: The antebellum for the married singles lifestyle is a commitment to daily communication and closeness, doing, being together every day for more than 15 minutes. Just being with each other can be such a... um, cure for the married singles lifestyle is we pray together daily we reflect with gratitude on the events of the day because we pray together each night holding hands and um, it's the praying together helps to to fortify the closeness of the marriage you know it helps to strengthen our marriage I learned what Betty's love language was, and it was acts of service. And I thought, oh well, she's how is that going to help me? You know, I want to buy her roses and flowers and give her gifts, and she doesn't, and she does reject them. But uh, and I was,
2: <clears throat> I don't tell you to take the gifts back. No, no, I just,
1: <laughs> you know, she complained, I don't need a dozen roses; just one. Don't spend all that extra money. <laughs> And the the interesting part, though, is um, I took an inventory of all the things that I could do that would be acts of service for Betty. You know, things like if I got up last in, in the morning, I would make the bed for the day. Or at the end of the day, if I take the last shower, I would be the one squeegeeing the walls instead of her. I would set up the coffee pot so that, It would be ready for us in the morning, and I would always scrape her windows of the car and always put gas in her car, and so it was interesting. As I completed this inventory, I noticed I had about 80 little things, acts of service that I could do for Betty that helps her to feel loved by me, and when I first did that list, I was, had a bad attitude. I thought, okay, this will get her to love me back. This will get her to praise me and thank me. Well, that really wasn't forthcoming. And then I had to shift my attitude. With, I'm not doing it to get reciprocal praise. I'm doing it because I love her. Once I made that leap in attitude, every act of service became a joy.
2: Mark's love language is physical touch, so I've learned to spend more often i I will hug him and kiss him and be next to him touching, and he appreciates being touched
1: yes, holding hands,
2: yeah, we hold hands wherever we go. one of our favorite places to hold hands is at church.
0: Four years after the Look Again retreat, Mark and Betty were sent a letter asking them if they would help bring a Canadian Catholic marriage program for struggling couples to Metro Detroit. The Retrovale program, French for Rediscovery, was started by a French-Canadian priest during the late 1970s, during the height of divorce rates in North America. A Wall Street Journal reporter described it saying that if marriage encounter is a tune-up, then retrovale is an overhaul
2: the letter came, it was like a message from God, this is an opportunity for you to help other couples, so we went to the meeting to find out what it was going to be about and and agreed that we were in a a place where we thought we could give back at that time, and it has blessed us ever since uh, the very first weekend in the Detroit area in 1991 helped us to write our story and share it for
0: the sake of other people. It seemed implausible having a couple fresh on recovery to start sharing their story, but this is exactly the type of couple Retrovale thrives on. The session leaders are all graduates of the program and share before and after stories, much like Alcoholics Anonymous. Attendees are there to see reunification is possible, even if it's not pretty. So when the Squires got a letter inviting them to share their story, it was an answer to prayer, a confirmation that they had made progress. And sharing their story seemed to be a crucial step in their marital formation, a grounding experience that let them hold on to their past without letting it define who they were.
1: Can I get the wine glass
2: symbol?
1: Thank you. All right. I have- I'll give you a metaphor for that. Take a a wine glass or a glass glass and fill it with water, okay? That water, that clear water represents your spiritual nature when you came to earth, when you were born and proceeded into life. Choices, bad choices especially, like envy, greed, anger, are like adding a drop of food coloring to that water, you know, like anger, a little drop of red, cowardice, you know, refusing to do what was right, drop of yellow, envy, some green in there too, about sadness, let's put a little blue in there. And so as you go through life and, and experience these emotions and bad decisions, you've transformed your glass of water, goblet of water, into a dark fluid. That re- represents, I think, the quality of our spiritual nature without forgiveness. So, as a retrovite team, our, almost everyone else, back up, almost everyone seems to say, God, please come into me and transform my life. That's where this goblet image comes in. As we present our life to the attending couples, it's like we... Pour some of our spirit out onto the table, that dark water. And it leaves open space in the goblet, you know, in less dark water. And now the Holy Spirit can come into us and occupy the space that we provided them by telling our story honestly, sharing our sinfulness honestly. We've emptied some of that sinfulness out. And now the Holy Spirit come come in and occupy it. And it, done over a period of time. It transforms that image of the dark water into clear water once again. That process is what keeps me coming back to share my story because it, it, it is not exhausting. It is fulfilling. It's energizing. And it's at that time, when I feel most forgiven for my sinfulness, is when I publicly confess my sinfulness.
2: I'm sitting here smiling at him. It's a really clear image. I I agree with it completely. I've learned to
1: redefine the hard times as those were experiences m- meant to prepare us to becoming a retrovite team. That's one of the axioms that I want to bring to everyone's attention is you're still becoming who you will be in the future. You know, you have today to be your best person. But your best person today is the result of all those past experiences. And those experiences are just that. They don't need to be judged as good or evil. They need to be seen as preparation for who you are today.
0: The people Betty and Mark are today are a happily married couple in their 70s, 53 years into marriage. They share the joy of 11 grandchildren together. Mark calls all nine granddaughters princess. Every year, they hold a week-long day camp with the grandkids they call Squire Spy Camp where they teach the kids wilderness survival skills. They pack their home with children and grandchildren each Christmas and Easter. This past year, they started family-wide Zoom calls complete with PowerPoint presentations and computer games. And every single day, they clasp each other's hands, look each other in the eyes and communicate. It doesn't matter that they spend nearly every waking moment together. But it would seem like there's nothing new to report. Mark and Betty know differently, that in each person you vow to love, there is infinite capacity for learning, discovery, sacrifice, and drawing closer to Christ. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.